This is Coda Radio, episode 247, for March 6th, 2017. This, this is Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Scale Your Code. Tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and join us every single week, potentially with his microphone muted. Who knows? It's our host, Mike. Hello, Mike! Oh, Misa Chris. <laughs> yeah? What? <laughs> you used to having so many little bitty oopsie daisies. <clears throat> oh, man, I'm I'm way past my prime. Yeah, I've peaked. I peaked, I think, five episodes ago or something, and it's all downhill. Misa too. Yeah, yeah. It, I don't know if it's age. I don't know if it's uh, just overall fitness or what I eat. But I'm off my game, Mike. I'm off my game. I'm off my game on every front. Maybe it's winter. I'm going to blame winter. It has been a long, cold winter here in Washington. It, you don't don't listen to me. You know, don't 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 take anything I say seriously, especially if we're talking about PHP. Don't don't oh, listen. Don't wow. listen. Chris, you ruined my inbox and Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, first of all, let's be honest here. Some people were just writing to say PHP does actually suck. That would some yes, of yes. <laughs> It, it was about half and half. People were yelling at you because apparently they thought you said that PHP is the only language with any kind of cryptography. I, I know, and I tried to reread not... the article twice, that part of the article twice, yeah. to make it clear what we were saying. And 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 to also try to make it clear it wasn't a position we were taking. We were reading an article. I know. I know, Mike. It's because like, I'm off my I, game. I, it's because I'm, I'm, I'm what, not... One guy in particular told me that I'm wrong about everything except for PHP being crap. It's the only thing I've ever been right about. <laughs> well, and to back off of that is madness. There you <laughs> That's there the line. Huh? That's it. <laughs> yeah, you see, if I had sold it better, if I had read that article better, if I had enunciated better, I don't think it would have happened. It's my fault. I'm off my game. I'm, I've, I've peaked. It's no good. It's no and good. PHP. Apparently still terrible. Oh, gets people, nothing gets people fired up, like uh, forgetting to talk about Rust and PHP. Nothing gets people. This is the uh, follow-up section of the show, and there's one thing to follow up on. Speaking of peaking, I think Apple peaked when it came to the MacBook. There's this, there's this thing that we all do now where we take a new laptop that might be, applicable, uh, that might be especially applicable to developers and uh, sysadmins. And, and we, we look at it and say, is it the MacBook killer? Is this going to be the MacBook killer? Um, and I think that's such a silly, arbitrary thing now, because what are you measuring? Are you measuring if it has a 16 gig RAM limit? Are you measuring if it starts at an unbelievably high price? Are you measuring the lack of Ethernet ports? What are you measuring to set the bar that is MacBook? I think you're probably, in theory, you're saying, well, it has a certain design quality to it. It has a certain type of material it's built out of. And I just, I just don't like it anymore. I think the MacBook peaked and, uh. I'll tell you what, the market has responded. The, there are people like System76, companies like System76, that are making big moves. So you mentioned a little bit when you came back from the Superfan event 
The Galago Pro has officially been announced at scale this weekend. I saw I saw a prototype at the Superfan event. Yeah. Um, as well as the as well as some other things that were also announced. Arm servers for the win. Um but you know, I've actually been thinking about this a lot because we've been talking about System 76 a lot. I have a buddy who got the newest MacBook sans the touch bar because mm. in his words, quote, I'm not spending that kind of money. Mm-hmm. Right. You know what? I think we're all a bunch of old guys with this whole we want a MacBook that's like the old MacBook thing. Now, I do think the new MacBook makes no sense for like professional developers and uh, video people, yeah, particularly for people like you. Mm-hmm. I think developers could probably get away with it. But I'm looking particularly at like my son. Granted, he's only 10 months old. My brother's 10 years old, so 10 months, 10 years. Even the 10-month-old, his idea of like how he uses technology at that very young age, I think like an old-school laptop like you and I would want, it's totally foreign to him. My 10-year-old brother, he looked at my uh, current lemur and my MacBook Pro, and he's kind of like, okay, these are like terrible first thing it does touch the screen yeah my kids too same with my, my kids do that right. I, I, you know I, there were, walt marsberg had a piece and i wish i had put a link to it in, uh from recode we may all be dinosaurs here right like you me and walt marsberg a bunch of old guys just sitting here wishing for our powerful desktops of the past yeah i i feel like this is a narrative that is created by people just like walt marsberg um okay to fit patterns in which they are seen into a story that makes sense. And I think what happens is, as humans, our brains go into pattern recognition mode in overload, and we start, we come down on a premise, and then we we fill, we backfill the data with anything we can find that supports our position. And uh, the strong one here for me would be my children as well, because my son has pretty much straight up said for a long time that some of my computers... Uh, the ones that he finds to be the strangest, he, laptops he gets, um, but desktops he didn't always. Totally desktops are so weird. This big old tower is like connected. With, that, that's strange to him. That is very strange. Yeah. But when he started to – he started on tablets and touch. And I was starting to think, well, this is all he's ever going to use. And then something changed. He had a work use for a PC and he's, he's all in now. Uh, once he wanted to start playing with Minecraft mods and different texture packs for Minecraft. Really? Yeah, that's that that was enough for him to go to push over. And now he's you know he brings his laptop with him everywhere. So I wonder that's if super interesting. I wonder yeah. if it's just uh, if I wonder if it's not going to be somewhere in the middle where it's just less and less and less use cases for these big powerful machines. Um, and that might be true. Though, you know, Carl probably has told you while you were there, they're a big believer in just building the most powerful computers possible in the price range that they can. And they're never they're, – they're, they're always about more horsepower when they can. That's a big point. Well, I of, think there's always going to be a professional market, right? Like my father-in-law drives a big old truck and I drive a, you know, a crappy mm-hmm. sedan. Yeah. Because I don't need – I'm not a you – know, I can't do handyman stuff, right? So yeah. I don't need the truck. Right. Um, but I, I, I really don't want to lean on the car truck analogy because I, I realize I just ripped off Steve Jobs. See, one problem, I think you have a point about particularly Mossberg, is the media is so very clingy to anything Steve Jobs ever said mm-hmm. that we find ourselves internalizing these analogies, particularly mm-hmm. the ones he made about mm-hmm. the cars and trucks and tablets. I was just going to say, it's almost been lost now that it was him that made the and original. It's almost been lost that that may not be a fact, right? Right. Because y- you know, yep. when we can move off of this, I mean, if you if you're interested in the Galago, it looks great. Um, 
but I, but I am wondering, particularly for our younger uh, folks in the audience, you know, if you've got college kids, uh, high school kids, does this sound sane? Like when Chris and I go on and on about not getting enough RAM or being upset about ports, does it sound like old guys complaining? Or does it sound like, yeah, you know, this is a, a real use case for power users? You know, Mike, I switched back to Android this week. Um, <laughs> good luck with it. <clears throat> and it's one of the reasons is because I wanted uh, – so here's here's what I here's my breakdown between apps on Android and iOS. The apps on iOS are generally better quality and the apps on Android are generally better functionality. They can do more, they have access to more. Um I've not so, found that to be true. I, I sometimes have been surprised how an app on the on iOS might be a little more limited than how an app can be. So a great example of this is LastPass on Android. It's a completely different ballgame. Than LastPass okay. on iOS, just a totally different because it has the ability to snoop on every single application, interject yeah. itself yeah. when the p- keyboard comes up. Right, it's just a totally different level of, of functionality. Um, but my my point is is that I've recently been going through a, a, a reevaluation of some of these things where I've I've given up I've 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 given up control in order to have a promised better device or a better configuration or whatever it might be, um, and. And now I kind of regret it because I was st- struck with a situation with my iPhone where my lightning port started to go out. And I needed to be able to start controlling if my audio went out, my lightning jack or my Bluetooth or my speakers. And that's just simply much more complicated than you think it would be under iOS. You just basically have one large lever which you can move around. Um, yeah, that that's a problem. I mean, having done you know a ton of native development for both platforms, I can tell you that I can do more on Android, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I have lots of reliability and QC concerns. Yeah, I'm not sure how long um, it's going to last. Yeah, on iOS, I mean, this is from the perspective of writing the app, right? Not even just being a user on iOS. My big concern is: is Apple going to bitch me out for this somewhat borderline functionality? Um, can, can I take a tangent here? Before you do, D. Miller says you guys sound like people have to buy your own laptops. You know, because that's what it uh, is. Like, all these people with their W twos and expense accounts. Yeah, yeah, and 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 people who just have the IT department buy them something. Right. Don't think about. It. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, what is your tangent? So let's talk about uh, root slash user slash lib for just a moment. Oh, oh, okay, all right. And let's talk about uh, why you shouldn't pseudo rm tac r that directory. <laughs> No, well, generally, you don't want to go around pseudo-RMing much, <laughs> just as a general rule. Uh, let, let's talk about pseudo-RMing in anger. So you are in your, so I'm going there right now, you're in slash user slash lib, and you RM'd what exactly in here? Uh, the entire thing. No, <laughs> you definitely yeah. don't want to do that. You definitely don't want to and, do that. And then, in my anger, <laughs> I closed my lid, which killed my session, yeah. therefore making my laptop unable to boot. Wow, yeah, because this is... This is sort of like where all the libraries are. So, you know, you kind of... Well, all I have to say is because I have been using an extremely old version of Node because I haven't done too much with Node. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, and I had to update it. And I did something... Apparently, on my lemur, I installed Node as root, which is a tremendous problem. Uh-huh. So you were hoping to so go instead clean of just up. like K-owning all the Node directories because that would be too easy, I decided, well, let me just delete everything. But because I was frustrated and upset about something else, I uh, pseudo armored it. Yeah, did not type the it's user lib slash node modules is the directory I was looking for. Instead, I just user you know slash lib, 
And uh, so the lemur's uh, just been reinstalled with Ubuntu 16.10. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you what, uh, I don't, the RMRF only bit me once in, in life. Oh, I didn't RF, I just went R. Okay, well, I that's... did not F. Yeah, that's I did good. not force, but that's I good. did it as root, so that's it doesn't good. matter. Uh, I tell you, this only bit me once, but the, the other thing that does, the other thing that I still to this day when I'm really in a pinch and I'm in a rush and like, say I go over to Angela's house and she can't access a folder on her server and I'm like, all right, well, give me your laptop and I'll just bang this out real quick and I got to go. Uh, I will I will drop a, a Chabad 77 set everything to everyone recursively mm. in a directory like nobody's <laughs> business to get out of there. Like, oh, I got to go. So here you go. Everything's fixed. See ya. It's fixed. It's great. That's one of my yeah. go to mistakes. So- that's our little system administration <laughs> for the day. Uh, yeah. You know, don't drive when you're upset. Like you break up with a significant other, other or whatever. Don't run as root when you're upset. Yeah, that's or, true. You know what? Just don't run as root. How yeah. about that? How about? Yeah. Don't do it. That is your sysadmin advice. And just like how you are generally not advised to get fish at a steakhouse, you generally not advised to get sysadmin advice from a coding from podcast. A but uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know what? It's it, this it's one. I think it works. This is how you know I'm not a sysadmin. I thought it was a good idea to go use her lib and start blowing shit away. Oh, so by the way, um, I realized that in the comments we had questions already preemptively about the Galago Pro. Uh, people are asking, oh, if yeah. it's a supposed MacBook killer, what makes it so great? Things that stood out, I think, Mike, to you were KB Lake, 32 gigs of RAM, uh, 4K, 16 by 9 screen. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I had my hands on a early prototype of it. The images they showed more recently and at that trade show, whose name escapes me, I am sorry, uh, look a lot better. Uh, I, I don't like the bezel. I wish they could have done something about the bezel because it just seems too big. Hmm. But here's the thing. If you're a web developer and you want a MacBook-like device that doesn't cost you know $2,400, you are going to save a, a pretty good chunk of cash on, on this. Here's another. Here's um, another shot from scale of it. This one that Emma's holding. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, uh, yeah, it does seem nice. Uh, no discrete GPUs. Rough for Chris. That's rough. Rough for Chris. Right. So this is not a Chris. This is a. This is more of a mic machine because mm-hmm. I don't believe in discrete GPUs. You monster. You monster. And, and <laughs> yeah. All, All right. right so so we have to... some. Uh, we yeah. have some hoopla to get into. So why don't we take a moment and um, let's thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this week's episode of the Coda Radio program. DigitalOcean is your secret weapon to have very pro-level infrastructure that's at a price range you won't even believe. I, I look at it from an hourly perspective, especially when I'm working on something, getting something up and running or doing testing, because I can get an amazing rig for three cents an hour. And if it's something I want to leave running while I bang something out, five bucks a month, that's nothing. Five bucks a month is nothing. If you use our promo code Coder Digital, you get a $10 credit after you sign up. You apply that to your account, Coder Digital. Boom. $10 credit, try out the $5 rig two months for free. They have a fantastic smooth interface. It's going to get you up and going in just seconds. They have data centers all over the world which is nice because you can either A, just have global redundancy, or B, pick areas that you know are locally uh, better or like at least as local as possible to the clients that will be hitting your server. To that extent, I have droplets on the East Coast, I have droplets on the West Coast, and I have droplets in Germany. And it's, it's perfect. It works so – especially because we're doing some peer-to-peer distributed stuff with some of those droplets. It just works so, so well. They have really good interfaces if you're just a – if you're just a beginner, they got a great web UI. Even if you're a pro, you're going to love it. But if you're a little bit more advanced, you're a little more comfortable with the command line, you're comfortable with writing a little bit of your own code or even shell script, a really nice, straightforward API. It's really great. I, I say it's on, it's on the same level as their fantastic UI. 
and they they are always always take treating as a first class citizen. I think they must build their own tool. They do build their own tool. I know the command line tools, but I think their web UI might even be built around it because it's it's so it's so complete, and we use it internally for a lot of the stuff we do on DigitalOcean now. DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code Coder Digital. It's one word. Check out their sweet sweet load balancers where you can scale your applications and improve availability across the entire infrastructure in just a few clicks integrated into their UI. Their new load balancer system is it's big league. It's big league. And they also have monitoring, which is uh, in early access mode right now. You can request access to it. This is one of those key components to really looking like a pro. Between load balancing and real-time monitoring, all of which is integrated into their fantastic UI, a one-man shop or a one-lady shop, you can look like a total pro. And imagine how nice that is when you scale up to a few people to hundreds of people. That's so, so, so sweet. DigitalOcean.com. Check it out. It's super sweet. DigitalOcean. Use our promo code CODERDIGITAL. Spin up a rig in seconds. All SSD performance. Lightning fast networking. Highly available block storage. You can attach storage up to 16 terabytes. DigitalOcean.com. It's so sweet. Use our promo code. Coder Digital. Thanks, DigitalOcean, for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. DigitalOcean.com, promo code Coder Digital. And you can still sign up for the monitoring, which I think is so sweet. All right, so this is pretty cool. This is pretty, uh, pretty sweet, as the kids say. NASA has released a ton of software for free, and there's maybe even some that you might legit want to try. That's pretty cool. They have a video attached to it, too, where you can le- learn more about it. <clears throat> Is this a game? Alien what is it, Mike? What is it? Oh, so you they, know. They actually published a bunch of stuff. Actually, really interestingly, uh, a bunch of code, but also a bunch of 3D printing yep. models. I was going to say, I did read about that. Yes. Yeah. They also did this cool drone uh, aerodynamics visualization that shows you how the drones move air, which is so cool because they used the drone that I have, it looks like. <laughs> so you really, for me, it's really particularly interesting. This is nice. This is where your public fund should be going to. I, no, I actually think this is great, right? This is a great use of taxpayer money. I mean, this is technology that they're actively using, um, or I guess reasonably recently we're actively using. And why not have it in the open? It's publicly funded. Yeah, for sure. Has, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> Has Pop is a full-on iOS app that lets you browse through consistently yeah. updated worldwide database of natural hazards, like fires, storms, and earthquakes. That's pretty neat. They have the NASA, NASA forecast model web. That's pretty nice. Worldwide satellite imagery browsing and downloading tool. What? I'm going to check that out right now. And then, of course, like I said, they have the visualization stuff and uh, video image stabilization tools. That's pretty neat. Huh. Worldview. This is a worldview, a a software tool designed to interactively browse and to enable downloading of imagery from NASA's Earth-observing satellites. That is so cool. Is Is it an EXE only? It's open source. So uh, software packages. This software is released under the NASA Open Source Agreement, NOSA. <laughs> and it, it's available in a worldwide software package. And then it takes me to GitHub. Yep. How about that? I don't know what, uh, I don't know if they have binaries available. What? Virtual no, box. You could, probably just, you could just compile it. Oh, it's a web app, Mike. It's a web app. Of course it is. Look at that. Yeah, you download bunch, it. You yeah. check it out. You download it. Set it up. It's a, vag- a vagrant. Oh, God, they use vagrant here to get it going. And then uh, you just browse the local host. Holy smokes. VirtualBox and vagrant in the instructions from NASA. 
This really is the fucking future, isn't it? This incredible. Open source has <laughs> made it. This is the future. This is really remarkable. This is really kind of nothing like I've ever seen before. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, read more of that on that after the show. So Java Nine finally getting a mention here in the show. Finally, Mike. Java Nine. I want to talk about Java Nine, but it's making me Jar Jar sad. It's going to be released in July ish. Yep. So innovation. Well, keeping up with keeping up with modern trends is good, right? There's a lot to love in Java Nine. I like the modules. Uh, they're coming from the Jigsaw project. It's great. It's exactly what it sounds like, i.e., modules. If you've used any language with modules, you will not be so surprised at what Java Nine modules are going to look like. So I'm not going to go into that. JShell is a Java interpreter, new in Java 9. Again, if you've ever used a language with an interpreter, you're not going to be super surprised what this means. JShell, huh? Hmm. JShell. Well, it's Java. So everything has a J. So right? I know. I just, is this, okay, so this is, I've never, I've never really. Well, these are in the language, but that's what okay. they're Okay, ah, gotcha. So this is, you have Java 9, you have this. This is not like you need to install another okay. dependency okay. or anything. Okay, okay. Um, collection factory methods, which are interesting um, but again it's nothing super new i mean these are all things you could do in java 8 but yeah. a little easier a factory method hmm. if you do java you have factory factories that make factories hmm. so this is a little cleaner syntax a little better um i guess just less typing right yeah private method interfaces okay great other languages have it it's nothing to write home about Let's talk about reactive streams, Chris. Oh, I like that name. I don't. Reactive streams? Screw you. That's the, one of the best names. That's better than J-Shell. I will, I, I will J-Shell your house. See what I did there? Whoa. Because shelling. Yeah. 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 All right. So reactive streams, because if you want to get attention on Hacker News, you put react or reactive yep. in front yep, of Yep. That's exactly that's right. What you do now. Yep. That's what like, yep. I am. <laughs> I call this um, react dump or... React urinal. <clears throat> you know, we've done we've done some of these. We've had active in the past. So re, it makes sense that reactive would be. Trend, yeah, right? there's, but there's always a trend. Like it was, you know, act. Remember, act Chris, ActiveX. Of course, I do. Remember, active everything. All the things were active. Yeah, everything was that. And then we had dot. At one point, dot. Everything was dot, and everything was J at one point too. Actually. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, those of you who know how I feel about reactive programming will not be super surprised that I don't like reactive streams. These interfaces support the reactive streams publish subscribe framework. Java 9 also provides a utility, submission publisher. A publisher produces items that are consumed by a number of subscribers, and a subscriber is managed by a subscription. Subscriptions subscriptions links the publisher and the subscriber. That's deep, dude. It's pretty deep. It's pretty interesting. Um, I don't love this model of development. I'm not, you know, going to say that no one should ever do it. Yeah, but I it really can get messy. feel pretty strongly. It, well, I, 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 yes, it can. Um, there are already Java reactive libraries to do stuff like this, and I, I'm, I really don't know that. You know, one of my concerns with Java in general is that every time something cool happens, they feel pretty obligated to add it to Java. Yeah, okay. I mean, but isn't that what isn't that what you kind of want? I mean, that kind of keeps the platform moving forward. A publish and subscribe framework is useful so, like so sure, right? But like if you if you told me like in the current world of Java 8 
that I have two competing projects I could pick up. One is, you know, some Java app, and the other is some other Java app that uses, uh, oh my god, I can't remember the name, the, the reactive Java library. There's two of them, but I call it RxJava, but I think I'm wrong because I think, I think I have the name wrong, but it doesn't matter. I know that those are two very different code bases. Mm. And I'm not, so on the one hand, I'm not convinced that these reactive streams, and I did look at them a bit, are enough to, how can I say this? They're additive to the existing Java development methodologies, right? They're not going to change the millions of Java developers and that, around that the world. And that, in a sense, is that bad because then it causes uh, fragmentation? Well, bad, gonna, well, that's my concern, right? You're going to have people trying to come in and yeah. be like, oh, I'm picking up this legacy app. Right. Let me do this with this published, with the reactive stream right. instead of just following the more classical patterns. Now, the counter-argument to this, because I'll be both the devil and his advocate, <laughs> is, well, Mike, following old patterns that are error-prone and stateful is bad. And even if we refactor module by module, see what I did there? I tied it back to modules, even though that's not what I mean. We can eventually all be reactive, and reactive is better because it's more functional and less state and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yes, but name four clients that will let you do that kind of large-scale refactoring or your employer. Yeah, that right? I completely agree with, yeah. Yep. So this just seems like you're going to have a bunch of like, surprise, this one feature is using reactive streams and the rest of the app doesn't. I don't... This new part of the app. Right. So, so like there are reactive libraries in Java. That's fine, right? You can import them. You can use them. I'm just not sure that it needs to be part of the core language. Um, mm. Mm. Okay. But, but okay. hey, maybe I'm, maybe I'm uh, oh, you know, okay. a little I crazy. I think I'm picking up what you're putting down. So they got more stuff, though, for us, Chris. Multi-resolution images, great. Got no problem there. It's exactly what it sounds like. Um, process API. So this is weird. They call it process API improvements. Yeah. I did not have a ton of time to look into what this means in a practical term, but the uh, document they put out on it actually seems pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. So if you're actually messing, messing with stuff like process handle, um, so messing with the actual process you're running in, apparently that's less of a pain in the ass now in Java 9. Yeah, it looks like I, you get some good info too now. Yeah, for, for next week, I'm going to look into this deeper. I haven't, this is not something I've had to do too frequently. In fact, I can remember only doing it twice. But apparently, if cause ever happens for that, you will be in better shape. Try with resources is great, but it's exactly what it sounds like, so I'm not going to jump into that too deeply. Um, more fun with diamond operators. Okay, right, they've been updating that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's good, right? But it's 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 a syntactical change. To it's you know, there's nothing sexy about it either. Yeah, it's it's a nice thing to have. Uh, the at deprecated stuff has been enhanced again. Great, unified JVM logging, better logging is always good. Mm -hmm. Okay, so on the whole, and there's a few other minor things. I, actually, there is one more thing I want to talk about. Two more. I'm going to skip the safe var args scope thing because I don't know that a lot of people are. are actually going to care mm -hmm. it's one of those annotation things mm -hmm. the HTTP client, HTTP client which is ancient is actually now there's an additional yep. one and it's being updated for HTTP 2 yeah this is the part have not, not just that but also web sockets yeah. which is that's the part I think and for sockets, yeah we haven't talked about HTTP 2 in quotes a lot but previously in Java you would have to use a dependency now with this update 
uh, come Java 9, you'll be able to just native, quote, quote unquote, natively do WebSockets, which actually is a is kind of great. If there was a standardized way to do that, I think that's good because everybody has their own little weird library that they like. Um, and this, see, this is an addition that I think really needs to be in the core language. I was just going to say, it's funny happy. enough, it's actually, you have to kind of go out of your way to enable it because it's, it's, it's not... It's not finished, they say. It's in the incubator module. So you have to... Right, but that's because Java 9's not done yet, right? Java 9's not done I get yet. the sense, though, that they're saying that even once Java 9's done, this is going to be the case. So we'll have to follow up on that, because I, I read that differently. Because that know. would be a pain in the butt. You have to then have to go manually that configure is, it. That would be super disappointing, because for me, that's a big headlining feature. I think it would be there, but just not in the class path by default. Really? Mm-hmm. That would be weird. Uh, the other update that sounds boring but is actually kind of great, HTML5 Javadocs. If you don't know, currently Javadocs are freaking ancient and crappy. Mm. So having better look, better looking Javadocs will just make life easier. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds like there's a few improvements to documentation in this release. Yeah, there's a, there's a couple other things. Pretty, but, yeah, pretty, we can leave it here. Pretty nice to see that continued to see attention, the, the, the documentation. That's, that's really nice. It is, because a lot of people are using third-party things now. And, and again, that's another feature that I really think needs to be core. Given the general size and complexity of most Java apps you end up working on, other than Android apps, um, you just need good documentation. I mean, that's the way it goes. I actually am also... So the HTTP client supporting WebSockets seems kind of like a big deal to me, but also the other thing that... But that's not in the class path by default... The other one that we kind of didn't mention, I mean, you did mention it, but just quickly, the, the multi-resolution image API is going to be kind of sweet. I'm always thinking about this stuff from a mobile perspective, not from a mobile phone perspective, but just from a mobile connection, data connection perspective. Right. Uh, and being able to get a list of all the resolution variants and just pull down the resolution of video, uh, picture or video, but I was thinking pictures, for uh, even just app layout and whatnot would be really nice. I have uh, recently gone through a process... Uh, configuring a Logitech device via a mobile app, and the to be helpful, it automatically streams a recorded voice prompt of a woman telling you what to do next, like a step-by-step how-to guide. Okay. And every time you go to another screen, it has to load it. And if you ever have to repeat the process because something didn't configure correctly, each time you go through the screen, screens, it re-downloads that same file, and it, the interface kind of locks up while it, while it, while it tries to download it. Like super bad client side development. Yeah, too, exactly. I mean, it's they could awful. just cache that file. I know. <laughs> I'm just saying you don't need a new feature in Java for that. You just yeah. cache the damn file. But yeah, sure. So what about um, before we uh, finish up in the hoopla? I think we had uh, also some uh, WebAssembly standard stuff, right? So the W3, yep. or as I call them, Raybeards of crappy JavaScript. Yeah, the regular or the original uh, standard gangsters. Right, they were the o, the OS. Uh, uh, this is too hard. Yeah, it's no good. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, so WebAssembly, <laughs> they, they they are forming a a working group. Chris, they're, they're going serious. to the W three C. Is that what's happening? They're they're going to go. They're going to take their they're, fight to Congress. It's well, it's almost like a subcommittee, right? <laughs> so so we're we're going to the. They're forming the WebAssembly Inquiry Committee, because WebAssembly is going to be put to the entire Senate to become a standard. Holy smokes. Yeah, so that that is one of those things. Standards move slowly, so this is not going to affect anyone within, let's say, the next three months. Um, but in maybe a year, maybe two, this could be a pretty big deal. All this stuff about JavaScript, <sighs> TypeScript. I, I really just, 
I just, I mean, I'm, I'm, one part of me, remember how last week I was the guy that just took a dump all over web apps again for like the third time? I, it's most weeks, but yeah, I keep yeah. Uh, and now I'm all like, oh, I'd rather keep it client side rendered. I'd, oh, if it's going to be server side, then I'd like it to be something that is at least if you SSH into the server, you can read. And when you start talking about delivering the web through a binary format, I start thinking to myself, oh, God, we've lost. Because it's just going to be such a huge, unique part of the open web is going to be gone when when you get pages. I mean, it's going to be like, I guess, Facebook.com. I guess it's already happening. I guess this is probably a lost fight. But I think about things like usability screen readers that rely on being able to parse the HTML to properly display the information to maybe a blind person or, or pr- properly prompt them uh, and read it to them or whatever. Or Braille interfaces that have to be able to parse the HTML to, 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 correct, to create the Braille display for the person to be able to read. I, I feel like a lot of that starts to slip away. Plus – when I was in school and I was learning how to do just basic web development, a huge part of it – maybe I'm misunderstanding, but a huge part of it was be able to view the page source and seeing how the page I'm viewing did the thing that I'm trying to accomplish, which was fundamental to learning how to create websites. And I just can't – I can't really envision a future where my website is delivered as a binary file to me, streamed – a binary file streamed to me at that. So I'm not entirely sure that that's right. Okay, good, good, because I, I'm not um, – I know that they do have a binary file that, 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 that they can generate, and I know that they have a format for it, and there's a, they're trying to make okay, that a standard, so but I don't really understand much make, about it. I'm going to make an analogy that's going to get us a lot of hate mail, but it's it's the only way I've been able to kind of internalize this in a way that I can process. So let's talk about – and God, God forgive me. Let's talk about bytecode for a moment. And sadly, I don't even mean Apple bytecode. I mean good old-fashioned .NET bytecode here. Mm. I think the way... So, okay. First of all, this is just a proposal right now. So this could all change, right? Now, Firefox and Chrome are going to implement this relatively soon, even before the standard is codified. But in theory, you have an open standard of what this bytecode is, which means that any browser can process it in the clear. There's no um, obfuscation, for lack of a better term, right? Now, it, so in your case of... So so when you say you want a Braille reader to read a page, you're saying you think the Braille reader parses the HTML document? Is that it all does, you're saying? It does, yeah, yeah. That should actually still totally work for you. Okay, so it's not, so so where where I get tripped up is uh, so I've been looking a little bit at their binary encoding and it's so it's a, they say it's split into three layers. Layer zero is a simple binary encoding of the bytecode instructions and related data structures. Uh, level one is uh, a plan feature. This isn't done yet, but it uh, right, provides but it, structural. It, go ahead. Right. Even in the worst case scenario, where your braille reader is like super crappy and it's just going through the HTML doc. One, I think that actually will still work. Two, so it sounds like you're afraid of this becoming some sort of like big blob. Is that what you're saying? Basically. Well, that blob would be an open standard and you would just have to write a new Braille reader that can read that. That's what I was kind of thinking while you were talking. But I'm like 90% sure that that doesn't even need to happen because I'm pretty sure this is only for the scripting part of the site. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering is if, well, and I guess, but of course, 
here's where I think it's so applicable. If you look at if you look at some of these web apps, the essentially the entire web, there's very little except for anything except for the application. Like look at Google Docs, for example. Uh, but I, I think you're I think you're probably on to your your first point. There is really if this is truly an open standard, then the Braille readers would just be updated, or a piece of software on the client machine, which would hopefully be compatible under Linux and other uh, other desktops. Uh, that would just send the data to the Braille reader. Um, they also say that they plan to apply generic compression like gzip uh, to it. So it does seem like it does seem like this will lead to some big, big, some big blob coming down, but no more so than probably Facebook.com well, blobs. So right, <laughs> just I mean, your current anyways. website is just a bundle of crap coming yeah, down anyway. It is right? these days. It, so, a lot of them. So are. I, I, th- I think you're, and I think this is your your hippie bias here. I think you're confusing big blob for big proprietary blob of encrypted crap. No, I will. I, 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 as long crap. as – really what, 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 what inspires my concern is when I – like, for example, when I look at the WebAssembly.org website, to, I, can, I can very clearly read this and I could apply this to something that I'm trying to learn how to do. Like a big part of what I think made the web successful was being able to read – to view the source – and learn how other people solve these problems. It was essentially, you're not going to like this, but it was essentially it forced open source upon everybody, and the web took off because of it. And I can say this, having not only used this trick myself, but when I went back to the school district and I went into a lab, guess what the students were doing there? They were learning how to do web development. They were doing this same exact thing. All right, so I see what you're saying now. So you're not saying that, like, the application could read it. You're saying, you know, Well, I was making both arguments. I was making both. source. Yeah. Well, the application reading it shouldn't be a problem at all. I don't think you're correct. I think you will still be able to view source. um, Or I'm fundamentally misunderstanding how this is going to work, which is totally possible. Well, I will, I will, uh, I will, um, I don't, I mean, I don't mind waiting and finding out, looking into it. I'll read read up more about it. Gates, that's, that's what I think. I think it's only replaces the JavaScript, right, which would be minified anyway. Yes. So your HTML yes. doc yes. and your CSS files are right. going to be totally inspectable. Yeah. But if that turns out not to be the case, or if me, Gates, and you are wrong, we'll correct it next week. I'll look into it more. You know, I think it's probably, I can definitely, it definitely makes sense to me that what would normally just be minimized JavaScript is now just this web assembly. And that would probably be pretty hot, you know, in terms well, of performance. Well, performance and, it's yeah. coming from, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. That is, so this is really about the scripting side of your, your web application not the HTML structure or the CSS decorations or whatever you want to call them. Yeah, I think um, I think I also, though, it's sort of like, it feels like uh, if you go to where the puck is skating, eventually the entire web page is just going to be like that. I'm just, I just, I just say that even just having, you know, just right now I'm looking at Google Docs, for example, I'm looking at it, it's just totally unreadable. Um, well, then you need an entirely different hmm. development flow, right? I mean, I don't think... Hmm. I think I see what you're saying now. I don't think that's what's up for for discussion on the standard, though. Okay, that's yeah. I think I uh, I'll learn more. I think I think I do definitely. I, my body is ready for better performing web apps oh. that feel more native, that perform more native. That and it, and the other thing is, is one thing that is the inescapable truth is that the browser really has become the universal platform, especially Chrome and and WebKit in general. You can just run it on anything, including televisions. And can I get a can I get like a little love for Firefox or yeah yeah I think what what's really killing Firefox is that both iOS and Android and all of the set top devices that are built around those platforms yeah. are all WebKit 
That's just a killer. You know what I found though? If you debug in Firefox, you're almost always okay in Chrome. Hmm. Which I have found the inverse not to be true, but we can. But Chrome is let us. But Chrome yeah, and WebKit, and let's just say the web browser, because Firefox absolutely could do this too. But yeah, then we'll move on. Uh, is becoming a, a the real runtime of the internet. Well, you know, just to hit this point harder, I mean, we haven't talked about WebAssembly a lot because, you know, there was never something in stone in the stars that made me believe that it was going to happen. It was going to actually become a standard. If this became a standard and these kind of performance benchmarks that uh, the folks at the project have been talking about can be hit, this is going to really give a lot of ammo to the, uh, you know, the native versus web app debate to the web app side. Because it takes away Native's big advantage of, you know, web performance sucks. Right. It's, if they could yeah. pull this off, uh, we're going to really, you know, that HTML future we talked about a few months ago where every developer's lingua franca is, is some form of JavaScript or possibly mm-hmm. TypeScript or whatever is going to. That's the other advantage, by the way. Instead of things like TypeScript compiling into JavaScript, they would just compile against WebAssembly. Yeah. So there's no more weird transpiling nonsense. Although you're still wrong if you're using CoffeeScript on moral grounds. I think the name alone tells you how they're positioning this. Assembly. Right. And what do you think of when you think of assembly? Tight, small, fast. It's brilliant. And yeah, I'm actually going to take it a step further. My limited experience with TypeScript, though I have been playing with it again, and we'll talk about that in the next segment. Um, if I was compiling into WebAssembly and not transpiling into JavaScript... I would probably pick TypeScript over JavaScript hmm. in that case. I would reverse years of curmudgeoning JavaScript replacements. WebAssembly you know would what? have to have such massive industry adoption, Mike. I mean, for anything, like look at like TypeScript. Like, Firefox look at these things. and Chrome are already going to adopt it before the standard is finished. If all the, all that has to happen is now the mobile mobile browsers do it. No, what has to happen is yes, but what has to happen is one of these companies has to has to ship. A product that uses WebAssembly, really? Define product. You mean like Chrome? I don't know. I mean like there needs to be something that I as an end user on the web use using it. No, no. You don't need to know, right? See, see, see that's the thing. Right. I just like I, I, my point is like they need to make a product like Google Plus or Gmail or Google Docs. They actually need to write parts of it in WebAssembly to start getting to – get, to, to drive the market's requirement of adopting the standard in the mobile browsers. Like you have to – Put a little pressure on the people on, like, say, Apple to necessarily integrate that into Safari. So there has to be something Google or Microsoft or somebody's making that requires WebAssembly. Well, see, the market already has this requirement, right? But these big companies and you know development shops are already doing crazy optimizations to speed up their JavaScript. Mm, mm. So what this does is, you know, there, there's the clean case of you know I use Google Play Music all day long, uh, and I have to use it in, in Chromium or Chrome, depending on which which one, what machine I'm on. Because it just doesn't work in Firefox. Really? I have not tried that. Hey, I've, I've had problems. They say it should, but it works better in Chrome. But you know what? I could use slightly better performance on Google Play Music. And I'm sure someone at Google, or a whole team of people, is basically spending all day long every day trying to get me better audio I don't and better know if that's true. I don't know if that's true, because uh, Spotify... Well, <laughs> yeah, it's Google too, so it's a terrible example. Yeah, but I get you. I, I grok your point. Like, there's essentially. Right? Yep. How about Facebook? Yep. Facebook did their own crazy ass hip hop yep. for PHP. If you could just walk to Mark Zuckerberg and say, "Hey, man, uh, if you just like compile this to WebAssembly, you'll be 
15% faster. They'll do that. Could be worse, though. They could be using web objects. Oh, why would you even say that? I used to write Java applets, and I'm still Misa very sorry. <laughs> Misa, so sorry. Oh, the other key to this is theoretically... Uh, the ECMA standard, so JavaScript, can compile into WebAssembly, meaning you don't have to change your code. Whoa. Just compile into WebAssembly. That's big. That's huge. Now, I, I, nay, huge. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Hmm. So, well, so, uh, okay, you've turned me around. Problems. You've turned me around, right. and I, uh, I am now so excited that I'm going to read up more about it. On the, I got like a homework list for this week's episode. I like it. Uh, hey, right. you know, Mr. Dominic, there's actually now that we've walked or we've walked ourselves down into this part of the show. There's actually the part of the show that I'm looking forward to the most. So let's get there. Let's do some of it at least because I, I really feel like this is an inspired segment of the show coming up. I want to talk about a way you can get expired and expired. Well, expired. if you don't use your mind, it will expire. That's a fact, Mike. It'll just shrivel up like a muscle that just doesn't ever get used. So go exercise it at scaleyourcode.com. Learn from successful developers. Get access to interviews, inside looks at their environment, their infrastructure, how they set up, the problems they've solved, and, of course, tutorials as well. This is such a great resource. It's free. You just subscribe to their mailing list. You get about two to three emails a month. Not that crazy. I know, right? I could do that, too. I could do that. Scaleyourcode.com. You go there, you sign up, you get access. It's nice. You get access to interviews with, say, the guy that invented Ruby on Rails. Oh, that's nice. Also the CTO of Basecamp. The founder of the co-founder, I should say, of Stack Exchange, chief architect at Reddit. Here's one I found too. This is pretty neat. Check this out. Stack Exchange Engineering with Nick Craver. He's a software developer and system administrator. Wow. <clears throat> Both those things? Uh, for for uh, Stack Exchange. The, the handy, useful, very nice to have Stack Exchange. He also talks about the importance of monitoring and error tracking throughout the entire episode. He talks about uh, using Rollbar which is uh, one of the solutions they've used. And he also mentions uh, sort of his inspiration around his job and how much time he spends at work. So it's not just the tools, but also how he makes it all work. So there, you can go find Nick Craver from uh, Stack Exchange. He's also uh, been a site reliability engineer, database admin architect, networking guy, data center guy, and all-around debugger. <laughs> so he's probably got a lot of experience. And this is one example of the interviews you get access to. ScaleYourCode.com. Go there, sign up for their low-flow mailing list, and get access to the interviews at ScaleYourCode.com. Big thank you to ScaleYourCode for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Mike, this next piece is inspired. Now, I don't know if you're the first to ever invent it. Um, Might have been Donald Trump, but it's ABC. Uh, Tell me about ABC. Always be coding. That's right. And ironically that you mentioned Trump, it's Alec Baldwin in the movie Glenn Gary Ginla Ross who yeah. says always be closing. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like I thought of it. <laughs> almost like you knew that. <laughs> yeah, this but is uh, this is inspired though because uh, at the core of it, I think it's something that I've been struggling with myself, a realization that I've been coming through for the last few weeks and uh, I'm 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 all ears, Mike. So, Mike Mike in the third person. <laughs> I've been noticing uh, that as I've had to take on more like salesy or like paying taxes, responsibilities, things like that, there are periods where I end up not coding for like a day or two at a time, at least. Once a couple weeks ago, there was like a week where I didn't. And what I noticed is a few things. 
there is a a material difference, I think, in the speed and output of my code if I don't code every day. Mm. And I've been trying kind of a little psych experiment on myself. I found a few things. If I code every day, I can stay within that range of flow, right? We've talked about flow before where you're at kind of a relaxed peak performance without being too stressed out, but also without being like, you know, watching Katy Perry videos all the time. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. Did something funny? No, I just, I'm getting good insight into, uh, so when you tell me you've been watching Katy Perry, I know the state of your mind now. So I'm just getting good insights into your personality. Well, and Tiffany Alford's even worse. I mean, that's like (laughs) total like, just want to go into the West, there it will be evergreen sort of stuff. Oh, man, that's Um, so where I am right now. In fact, that's right. In fact, I'm trying to convince my fellow workhorse to go to the glue factory with me. Yeah, I'm going to read you a telegram that I sent Noah uh, five minutes before we went on the air today. Uh, it's, I said, uh, hmm, where is it? He said, uh, oh, geez, way up here. Sorry. He said, uh, I told him, I said, Noah, I'm so desperate that if I had extra money right now, I would buy a teardrop, teardrop drop trailer, tow it behind my truck, leave Monday after Coda Radio and come back Saturday for the kids and Linux action show every week. I'm so desperate right now. I'd even get on a plane and fly. I just need to get what uh, just need to get out of here because <laughs> I'm just so sick of Washington and the gray and the snow. Ah, just I, I feel like I'm creatively I'm in a I'm in a funk right now. So I'm not getting well, my I, my output is low. It's way lower than I'd like. Yep. See, I, I'm just going to move to Dagobah. That that's my plan. Yeah. This so this uh your the key thing about. Doing something daily like this is you maintain momentum and a, a bit of discipline when I don't force myself to do to – do, like if I have, a, I have a couple of shows that I have to work on every single day or else I fall way behind and I have the vlog that I do. And I have to work on each show and the vlog every day, a little bit every day. Otherwise, I sort of lose my flow. I lose momentum. I, I lose my cadence and it's oh, – and then I get so hard on myself. I beat myself up so bad that it ruins my mood, and that just makes the problem even worse. So this kind of daily discipline keeps right. you it's moving. It's like a swirl of negativity. Yes, right. So yes. once you don't do anything, you feel bad you didn't do anything exactly. Yeah. So there's a, few, feel, there's a few. And then just, yeah, just to wrap it up, then, then, it, then you, you feel bad because your output's low. So then because you, your output's low, you feel bad. Right. So it's like a catch 22. And then you fail to be inspired to start a new project and existing projects that have been sitting for a little bit start to go rotten. They start to look bad to me. They start to look like bad ideas. It's a waste of time. I start thinking about all of the other work I have to do once I get that part done. And I start to lose momentum because I'm already feeling overwhelmed and too busy. And so an idea at one point in my mind when I had good speed and I was working on it regularly, which seemed something, a project that seemed like a great idea, all of a sudden seems like a real loser and not worth my time when I'm in this mode. So it's more devastating than just a current productivity. I also start killing future babies. Project babies. Well, uh, youngly murder aside, (laughs) let's just say we some make a few mistakes, huh? Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm trying this, right? Are you familiar with the uh, yeah, the the term kata, like uh, martial arts in Japanese martial arts? You have the term kata, which is a kind of like a practice routine. Hmm, They're quick. Okay. They're like five, ten, fifteen minutes. And I'm trying this for coding. I've talked about this in the past, and I've never really been able to do it. I've been trying it for the last couple of days. It was working until today when I didn't do it, and I got nothing done. So that's great. Here's the deal. You have to code something every day. 
has to be small, right? So this has to be something in addition to whatever you're doing. The language and platform doesn't matter very much. I mean, if you're doing like, hey, I'm a Mac guy and I'm going to write this VB basic thing and install Windows, well, that's probably a big waste of time. But actually, there is an advantage, and I, I feel pretty strongly about this, to trying new things, even things you are not sure that you're going to like, and trying to do them in an idiomatic way. For instance, if you've never done Ruby, you know, do Ruby and try avoiding for loops and doing the do each block things, right? Just for a really dumb, trivial example. So, so make yourself go into some uncomfortable, uncomfortable territory for a little while. Right. Not always. Like if you wake up and you know you're having a particularly, you know, you're going to have a bad day, you know, if Java is your safety blanket then do it in Java. Your comfort right? food, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Or in the case for me, it's Star Trek. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. I did one today, and it, I put this at the end of the notes, but we may as well talk about it. Uh, coding, codinggame.com. Alan Jude actually turned me on to it. Oh, really? They have Star Trek, uh, Marvel, Batman, Star Wars-themed coding puzzles. Cool. Yep. Nice. And so- the one I did... I was going to say, so if you guys want to find it, codinggame.com, and we'll have it linked in the show notes. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, no, it's 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 actually pretty interesting. Um, and w- one thing is the problems are weird, <laughs> and they're very in-universe, so I'll bend, bend you a little bit. Ooh, really? That's nice. So yes. that so if you're in the Marvel, it's in Marvel Universe and Star Trek, et cetera. That's, that sounds like so much fun. Coding they have game a wide variety of languages, including the one true language, Objective-C. Yeah, that Alan Jude, sometimes he, you know... He finds some good stuff on that there internet. That's a good one. Uh, I, I liked I liked your your idea of intentionally challenging your bias and preconceived notions a little while to get things yeah. going, especially like hey, if you hate Apple, go write some Swift. If you hate Microsoft, right. go write some C sharp. I think that's that's a little bit of brilliance, Mike. Yeah, I actually feel pretty strongly about that, and I'm stealing it from Mike Gunderloy, who wrote a uh, the great book. If you haven't read it, go buy it. Coder that's, to that's okay because you know what? Great artists steal. Ha! Just stole that. Oh. Uh, God, you know what, Chris? I'm going to your house and I'm plugging all your ports. You don't stop. <laughs> okay. So. Yeah, I had to steal. You know, I figured if we're ripping off metaphors, yeah, we're going to do it. One interesting facet of it is I'm noticing, and I and I took a bad example that's really easy and no one would argue with. But let's say you're a C sharp developer all day long, five days a week. You're a dark matter guy. You're in the basement, insurance company, sad cubicles. Um, well, go ahead and try some F-sharp because F-sharp is Microsoft's functional programming language and you presumably have Visual Studio installed already. I'm willing to bet that your C-sharp will end up being more functional and you'll have little tricks you learned in F-sharp that you can now apply to your C-sharp to solve problems in maybe a better way. And here's why I think that. I've been screwing around with uh, some Scala and Scala is roughly, it's not as pure as F-sharp, but it's roughly the Java version of F-sharp, right? And sure enough, you know, a little bit of recursion goes a long way. Even going back to my boring old Java code. I think that's pretty, I think that's pretty spot on. I don't, I won't, I won't argue with any of that. I, all of it is, it's interesting because I'm, I feel like I'm sort of coming through some of these same I, of course, for me, it's it's a, there's different things that I'm challenging myself with, and different things that I'm trying to do every day. But it's the same concept for even a different field of work. So I think you're on on some yeah. really sound ideas here. Though I have found a catch. Oh, okay. It's called Kool Aid. Oh, hmm. 
Mm, gotta be where the Kool-Aid. So one great example that I actually had was, you know, I've been fooling around with TypeScript doing this. And there are certainly advantages to like doing a quick project in TypeScript over JavaScript. And it does make going back to particularly heavy JavaScript projects feel a little going backwards. Like slamming appendages and doors. Yeah. From cars. You have this um grass is greener effect that happens because right. when you get newly exposed to something, you spend a lot of time revelating in oh, that's different. You do that differently. And then you start also getting the, oh, that's a little bit better. And you start stacking these up. Right. And it's not until you're six months, a year in, or on a really big project where you really start to notice all the little nuances that annoy you just as much as the last thing you used. They just take a little longer to build up. And at first, if you're like Mike and myself, you're a little more impressed by the things that are improved and better. And so you tend to want to go all in. Well, th- there's a risk, right? I mean, there, there's – see, the idea is to bend your mind. It's almost like if, you know, folks who – and I used to do this every night, do the crossword puzzle. You're not trying to, like, be the best crossword person in the world, right? So, like, tomorrow I'm pretty sure I'm going to do Swift because I haven't done Swift in a long time. And I want to update Git Mask, um, which is written – which I have to upgrade to Swift 3, which is why I haven't updated it Because <laughs> <laughs> Swift 4 is going to come out. Yay! Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, there, there is, on the one hand, there's part of me that's like, this is a lot less code than Objective-C. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And the, there's the other side of me that's like, yeah, but Objective-C makes more sense and doesn't have all these crazy exclamation points and question marks. That is good. I think the push-pull is good. But I, I will confess, particularly on the TypeScript side, there's a part of me that's like, wow, this is just like if you had done JavaScript correctly mm. the first time. It's luring so, you. It's calling to you. It's the it's the siren right. song. Like I wouldn't be so excited about TypeScript two um, and the possibility of using it WebAssembly if I hadn't been doing the uh, number of these exercises in TypeScript, mm-hmm. which I, I guess is a feature, right? It's pushing against my natural curmudgeon way, it's but true. I do think particularly for some of maybe our our because we do have a lot of them younger student developers. You might get in a situation where, you know, because uh, if if you want, you can do the codinggame.com website like I am. You um, And they're not a sponsor or anything, so it's just, just something that Alan sent me. You you have a lot of choices of languages, and you can mix it up, and you can change it up and do whatever you want. But I, I do see, and, and they're pretty trendy, right? Like Rust is one of the possibilities for mm. psychopaths. <laughs> Jeez. Was that, did I say that out loud? Business? There's some risk that you might go back to your VB internship and be like, oh my God, I hate my life. That's not the point of this, right? That's the yeah. point is personal growth. Well said. I like that. Yep. Okay. You know what? I'm going to call it right there. I think that was a great ending spot. Now, lots of cool things were talked about, including the Java 9 features, the WebAssembly stuff, the NASA code, the System76 laptop, and the coding game. All of that you can find linked in the show notes. Copia show notes this week for Coda Radio. Just go to jupiterbroadcasting.com. Now, Mike, I'm warning you. I'm about to ask you a question. Where can people find you throughout the week? At Dumunuku on Twitter and on Naboo entertaining small orphan children. <laughs> Savage, man. That's... <laughs> You can find me at Chris LAS on the Twitter, the vlog, youtube.com slash Chris Fisher, and of course the network at Jupiter Signal for announcements and news. We'll see you right back here next week. Thanks for joining us. Oh, the subreddit, coderadio.reddit.com. All right, see you next week. Mm-hmm.